Katie, how's it going? Pretty good, Jesse. How are you? Good. Have you read any good books lately? So I committed to only reading books in 2020 by orphan transgender women with one leg. Um, and unfortunately, there aren't any, so I haven't. Oh, that's too bad. How's the uh, How's the weather? Uh, you know, it's like, it's pretty good here out in the Pacific Northwest, you know, not too hot, not too cold, lots of blue skies. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> how's your dog, Moose? Moose is great. Very cute. Very Have cute. you signed any, uh, any noteworthy open letters? <laughs> oh, open letters. You know, I did sign an open letter recently. How about you? Have you signed any open letters recently? Yeah, a bunch. Um, one of them was like to take away a bunch of people's rights. The other was a gamer's rights thing. Was was this one about um, open open discourse, free inquiry, blah, blah, blah? Yeah, th- there was one. I also signed one about giving podcasters special tax breaks. And <laughs> then there was one about freedom of speech and open discourse. Yep, yep. It's hard for me to keep track because honestly, I will sign anything anyone puts in front of me. God knows what petitions I've signed over the years. But yes, we were both signatories on a letter published yesterday. It was yesterday, right? It was yesterday, I believe, yes. In a little magazine called Harper's. And uh, well, I guess before we proceed, this is a patrons-only episode of Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And I'm Katie Herzog. And we're going to talk about the giant clusterfuck online uncorked by this letter. Katie, would you say this letter contained deeply controversial content? Apparently it did. It seems um, pretty anodyne to me, but from the reaction on Twitter, you would have thought that this was an open letter endorsing, you know, Donald Trump for his fifth presidency and, you know, kicking baby seals. One would get that impression. And yet, if you read the text of the letter, which we will hopefully include in the show notes as always, it was a rather anodyne defense of of free speech and open inquiry. And, and, you know, you could call it sort of anti-cancel culture if you want to bring that term into it. The response to this letter, like I I broke every rule I've been trying to follow about just like staying sane on Twitter, not getting in dumb fights and not screen capping so people so much because it was literally like the title of the letter was why Hitler is misunderstood. Right, right. It was uh, the discourse yesterday was fucking fiery. It was very enjoyable um, for me, but I suppose that's because I'm a terrible person who enjoys conflict in some way. Um, yeah. So, so first off, let me ask you, why did you sign the letter? I signed because it made sense to me. Like it, you know, it wasn't perfect. No letter is, but I do think that there's been sort of a shifting of certain norms on the left and things are getting a little bit illiberal. Um, the letter rightfully pointed out that like a big threat to liberalism stems from the white house and from sort of, I forget how they're described, but basically right wing populists and authoritarians in Europe. I don't, I wouldn't have signed any letter that didn't mention those. Cause if you just focus on the left, that's insane. But yeah, I thought it was an important time to to put my name on it. I was probably helped by the fact that they mentioned a few high-profile names I'd be signing with, so it was a safety in numbers thing. But I just – I'm not – despite the joke I made at the beginning, I'm, I'm usually pretty anti-petition and this is not the sort of thing I usually do. But it just – it felt like who could – possibly really argue with this. Yeah, I felt kind of the same way. As a rule, I try not to get involved in movements or activism or groups um, for lots of reasons. Um, So this is not the sort of thing that I would normally do. Is that why you have no friends? (laughs) 
that is why I have no friends. I am constitutionally opposed to friendship because I don't want to be affiliated with other people. All these people are like, Katie, let's be friends. You're like, no, that would chip away at my journalistic objectivity. I have integrity. I have moral clarity to maintain. Um, people get in the way of that. This is why this is similar to why I didn't have a girlfriend in high school, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason. Um, it wasn't that you wore car- cargo shorts every day in the winter. So uh, actually, were you a cargo short in the winter guy? No, I was cargo shorts. I remain cargo short available or open to cargo shorts maybe six to seven months a year. And I went through a phase in my early 30s where I'm like, I should really clean it up, not wear cargo shorts so much. But there was like, as anyone who's followed me on Twitter knows, I've sort of swerved wildly back in a pro cargo shorts direction. (laughs) Anyone who's going to judge me by the number of pockets on my shorts rather than the content on my heart, as Martin Luther King said in his famous address about cargo shorts, (laughs) that's not the society we should be seeking to build. So I'm pro cargo short and you know, join my movement. Anyone who's listening who is cargo short, uh, ambivalent. We'll put a link to the open letter uh, in the show notes. Um, so in general, I don't join stuff like this. Uh, I'm not a petition signer. I am sort of on principle. I do you, Okay, I'll put it this way. Do you remember when Barry Weiss did the big story on the intellectual dark web a couple years ago? And um, Alice Drager, who both of us have talked about, who's a medical historian and someone we both know and admire very much. Um, she was going to be included in this 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 feature that Barry wrote about the IDW, this like idiotically named group of people that has sort of fallen fallen apart in the last couple of years. But Alice was going to be a part of this, and she ultimately rejected that because she basically was like, "I don't, I'm not a joiner. I don't join groups, even if the group is a bunch of people who um who are who are constitutionally opposed to groups. I'm not joining the fucking group." And I really appreciated that about Alice. Um, and I and I. I agree with her, too. I just I don't want to be a joiner. But in this case, I thought that the arguments were compelling enough and needed to be stated. Um, And also, I wanted to be in Harper's. And this was like way easier than like writing a fucking story. Um, So those those are my reasons. Listeners don't realize this, but you're barely literate. You can't write. So it's not an option for you. No, all I can do is sign my name. So I'm really... (laughs) Which is just... Which you just do as like a symbol. It's like you in a boat with a dog. It is. It's just a smiley face, actually. Um, Or a swastika, depending on what I'm signing. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing was... In in my, I didn't mean to talk over you, but in my thinking, I was like, also, I was like, this is three paragraphs, and there is no way anyone is going to be like, oh, well, there's other people on this I don't like, so that must mean the letter is bad, because no one could be that immature and stupid. Yeah, sure. Um, I would like to point out one thing about the letter. I am the only person who signed the letter, podcast host. (laughs) (laughs) There's some bad... There's some backstory here. Do you want the truth about this? Yes. When they asked me for the title, I didn't know how much space they were going to use. So I said something like contributing writer and former senior editor, New York Magazine. When it came out, it was just Jesse Single, comma, New York Magazine. And I thought people would get the impression I was still on staff there. Right. So I asked them to remove it. The first thing they replaced it with was podcast. (laughs) I asked them to change that to journalist. Jesse. Oh, man. No, because journalist journalist encompasses all my activities from podcasting to book writing to newslettering. I'm, uh, I'm bigger than that. I know for you, this is like your whole identity. Right. I'm only a podcast host. Plus, for me, it was like when they asked you what, what title, it was like, should I put unemployed or should I put podcast host? <laughs> Those are the two choices. So this is a list of, of like very illustrious writers. And then you and I, um, and me being the sole podcast host on this fucking list. And Kat Rosenfield, Phoebe Maltz-Bovey, Zaid Jelani. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, okay, we should we should um, we should mention some of the bigger names on the list. Um, okay, I'm looking at it right now. There's Margaret Atwood, um, Wynton Marsalis, John McWhorter, Yasha Monk, who was on the podcast recently, Olivia Nunzi, um, George Packer, Stephen Pinker, Katha Pollitt, um, Malcolm Gladwell signed it, Megan Dom signed it, Jeffrey Eugenides, Caitlin Flanagan, J.K. Rowling, Salman Rushdie. Um, so there's big fucking names Hit- on it. It says Hitler's are- ghost. <laughs> Hitler's ghost. So we are unfortunately not the most famous people on the list and are actually probably the least famous people on the list. But there were some also there were surprising names. Like I was very surprised to see Jeet here uh, from from the nation on this list because I, he has like repeatedly tweeted things like cancel culture isn't real. Um, so to see him on the list was a little bit rich. And I thought that Jeet would be the first one to, uh, to, to, to disavow the list. He was not, which we will get to later. Yeah. Consider this a uh, cliffhanger, but it was also surprising to see Jennifer Finney Boylan on there, a trans writer mm-hmm. at the New York Times, a very good writer, but, but one who is certainly opposed to J.K. Rowling, for example. Right, right. Barry Weiss is on the list. Thomas Chatterton Williams, um, who sort of spearheaded the list. Um, okay, Emily Yaffe. Uh, oh, Matt Iglesias, who um, is at Vox and who uh, – should we just talk, talk about what happened? <laughs> so we could talk – like this is one of those examples where like it could be a six-hour episode, but it shouldn't be because like – in the real world, a lot of this, uh, I mean, it matters, but does it? Anyway, yeah, why don't you tell this part of the story? Because I tweeted about it, and they got mad at me for tweeting about it. Okay, so Matt So Matt was, I guess he was, was he a co-founder of Vox? Yes, I believe he was, yeah, with Ezra and one or two others, Ezra Klein. Okay, so he um, he seems to be going through something of a, uh, a, 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 political awakening in some ways over the past couple I would have I wouldn't have called him like a woke scold a year ago but I definitely thought of him as sort of a he's just like a Vox writer and Vox has some great writers Jane Coaston is great um they have some other great writers but it just sort of I think if we're going to stereotype Vox writers we could say the, the Vox writer is on average more likely to tweet cancel culture isn't real than to be concerned about sort of these excesses of cancel culture where people are getting fired for like absolute bullshit or expressing a totally mainstream opinion also let me just be a dick for a minute and be blunt that just the general quality especially like the culture writing has has been absolutely plummeted as it has gotten more ideologically predictable i just want to get my shot in because i've been criticizing them a lot on twitter and i'm a right jerk. right um so matt signed this letter after a couple weeks of him um sort of publicly appearing to go sort of this this uh, mini evolution where he has sort of admitted that things that um, people like me and you were bitching about over the past couple of years about like the excesses of of um, of campus cancel culture um, and, and students trying to get people deplatformed. Like, oh, maybe these things are actually a big deal. Maybe they don't just stay on campus, which has been the argument the entire fucking time. Anyway, so um, Matt signed the letter, and then and then Twitter just like erupts in like absolute fucking fervor over this thing. And then a little while later, one of his colleagues, a woman named Emily Vanderwerf, posts uh, uh, a letter that she wrote. At apparently, another open letter, open open. It's open letter season um, to the editors at Vox. So this is one of this is one of Matt's colleagues, and I'm not going to read the entire letter because it's kind of long. Um, but she basically says. As, so she's a trans woman, and she says that Matt signing the letter makes her feel less safe. And she also says he's never th- been anything but kind to me and has often publicly supported my work. But And she also says, like, I don't want him to get fired. I don't want him to get reprimanded. I don't want him to even have to apologize. But I feel he his signing this letter makes me feel 
less safe. And then she like posts it publicly, um, which is sort of this like weird, like, I don't want him to get in trouble, but I'm going to write his bosses anyway. Yeah, I I tweeted, I'll include my tweet to it just to be fully solipsistic. And it got a lot of retweets because I thought this was insane. A couple of people came back to me like, oh, well, you know, she said she didn't want to get him in trouble. Oh, bullshit. Right. You, you, I don't want to get my colleague in trouble. So I'm going to send his bosses a letter and then, and then publicly post that on Twitter. Right. I mean, this, to me, this just totally illustrated why I signed the letter. It, it, I mean, it illustrated the right. need for the letter in the, in the first place. So I want to thank Emily for that. I tweeted that and then she blocked me. Well, it's also interesting to think about like how quickly the norms have shifted. Cause I genuinely think like five years ago, that move on her part would be seen as so insane and inappropriate and just like uncollegial. Yeah. I mean, that's actually look, Matt Iglesias as a Vox co-founder is not going to get fired. He's not going to be reprimanded. Although God knows what's going on inside Vox, but like that's actually fucked up to do that to a colleague. And, and the, it, you know, of course now it's a bifurcated thing where on the one hand, all her replies were initially, Oh my God, so brave. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so sorry you went through this. And then I tweet about it and then people are bashing her. I don't know what to do about that. I I don't want anyone to like harass her, but I also think if you act in a fucked up way publicly, you, you're going to expect pushback. But um, it's not normal. That's not normal, and that people treated that as normal or praiseworthy annoyed me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like that you could read. The thing is, it's like there's nothing in this letter about trans people. Nothing, nothing, and that has become sort of this like now like part of the dialogue that the letter was like a dog whistle for anti-trans bigotry. Well. The only thing, no. no, I mean that the reason people are saying that is because fucking J.K. Rowling signed it, and to a lesser extent, right. you and I signed it. Um, but that has the three, the three most yes, important authors: three, you, me, and J.K. Yeah, Rowling. Exactly. Um, so, no, but it's like this is like what you see. It's this backwards, like moral contagion thing where the authors are supposedly transphobic, therefore the text must be transphobic. I, I saw one person who was literally like. You know, the, you know, they say the letter's harmless. Here's what it really means. And she edited, she put in little red carrots in text so that it was about trans people as, as though it was a giant subtweet of trans people when A, it just wasn't. And B, it had three, Joy, La Joy Layden is trans. There's three trans signatories who apparently, at least. So that, this is again, this is another example of why things are so fucked up in media right now. This completely made up narrative. Like, look, we have written stuff that is legitimately uh, controversial. Like, we might not think it is, but it was about trans people. It was controversial. This letter had nothing to do with that. And then snap a finger and everyone in the progressive media ecosystem is just saying it's got dog whistles. No one will point out what they are. That was one of Emily's claims about why it was bad. Matt signed it, that there were so many dog whistles. It's just bizarre. And, and to any normal person reading this letter, if you asked a thousand normies, is this anti-trans? Not one of them would say it is. You know, I mean, I think it might be a little bit narcissistic to see an open letter about free speech and assume that it's about you. Oh, I mean, a little. It's also, I mean, Freddie DeBoer had a good piece on this where it's like the people are sort of, I hate the phrase telling on themselves, but when people react this angrily to just a milquetoast defense of free speech, they're telling on themselves because they are not actually in favor of free speech. Have you seen any any chatter that actually contended with the content of the letter and not the signatories of the letter? To me, the one like, Decently good faith critique was that it, it vagued up these specific incidents like David Shores firing and didn't refer to them specifically. To me, you have to do that because if you're going to get a big bunch of signatories, you can't get hung up on people like agreeing or disagreeing on specific incidents. That's just a recipe for discord. So I understand why they did that. It was sort of a weakness of the letter because like you can't 
point to specific incidents, but you can point to like, like when they mention an editor getting fired, to me, they're clearly referring to James Bennett. But then if you actually mention James Bennett, then the conversation's about the Bennett thing rather than the grander principle. So I thought that was a, a, a decently good faith critique. And then some people pointed out that there are signatories on the letter who had like tried to get people fired. People made that point about Barry Weiss. Um, yeah, did you see any other good faith critique of the letter itself or just the signatories? Um, I haven't read this yet. So Oliver Chaldi wrote something for ARC um, that I imagine it's called Yes And. We can post a link to it. And I just saw this before we started recording. So I haven't actually read it yet. I imagine that's a good faith criticism um, because he typically argues in good faith. Um but I haven't read it yet, so I have. So all of the chatter that I that I saw was just about the signatories and the Barry thing. I mean, there have been sort of rumors about Barry trying to get people like reprimanded or fired at the Times. I haven't seen any evidence that this has taken place recently. There's also her like her college activism years, which I don't think should be fucking held against her at this point. I think, as we've said on the podcast before, I think Barry should address these rumors. Um, and if she has gotten so, so someone said she has on Twitter. We should okay. look into that. Um, yeah, we should look into that. But yeah, I think like I, I do think the hypocrisy of some of the of the letter writers i think that's totally i think that's a like fair game if somebody it like just like seeing cheat here on the letter someone who's repeatedly said cancel culture isn't real signing this letter that is in part a condemnation of cancel culture was a little bit rich i was glad to see that he signed it but i also thought like what the fuck like you don't belong on this list like you're (laughs) you know you're you're gonna deny that this thing exists and then like sign this letter what you just also like me just want to see your name in harper's um (laughs) i hope you're not I hope you're less petty than I am. Um, So, but there was also, I saw on Twitter today, this morning, I saw people accusing you of hypocrisy and they were saying that you tried to get this, this writer named Caitlin Burns fired. So I wanted to ask you about this. Like, what's the story there, Jesse? Yeah, I'll, I'll link again to my post on this. There was like a years long thing where this woman accused me of um, some sort of vague form of harassment. Like it started with, I had bullied her into doing an interview. She sort of lied over and over, and I have the chat logs. She got fired from her job at an outlet named Rewire News. I am in a difficult position because I know exactly why she got fired, and I can't say so because of sort of off-the-record complex stuff. If you look at her tweets from today, she phrases it in a, a vague way, but she makes it sound like because I would not stop emailing her bosses, they fired her, which would first of all raise questions about her employer. Do you really think that I emailed them repeatedly? Even if you do think that, then they fired her because Jesse Single was, was like criticized. That doesn't make sense. But even if you think that makes sense, she mentions that my name and the name of two other signatories on the Harper's letter are in her termination letter. I think the easiest thing to do would be for her to post the termination letter because I know what it's going to say. And it will not say that we are firing you because of Jesse Single or these other people. It will specifically lay out what she did to get fired. And I know what that is. And it's weird for me to not be able to say so. But I, long story short, for now, like I'd be violating an off the record thing to reveal this. If this rumor keeps up, I might just go ahead and do that because this is ridiculous. And it's been years long thing of sort of multiple waves of, of claims of stuff I've done that, um, she hasn't substantiated. And she was asked when she was at Rewire News, I already wrote about this. She was asked by her employers, 
if this guy's harassing you, can you turn over the chat logs or the emails where he's harassing you or the tweets? She was not able to do so because there were not. She lied for years to everyone who would listen in journalism that I harassed her. There's been no harassment. She did not get fired because of some pressure campaign on my part. So it sucks that I can't get more specific. But that's So did you at any point like approach her employer and say like Caitlin is libeling me or anything like that? Yeah, there was an initial I sent at a moment when stuff was escalating and she sounded like she was trying to sort of Actually, I don't remember at what point in the trajectory it was. There was an email where I was very straightforwardly like, I don't, I just would like this to stop. I don't, I, I said the same thing Emily did, except I didn't post online. I just said like, I'm not, I don't want this person to get in trouble. I think this is genuinely libelous. She continues to say I'm harassed her when I have it. I would just like it to stop. So I did say, I did interact with her uh, employer, but I did not go public with any of that and was genuinely trying to resolve it quietly. But yeah, there there were emails. Well, so do you think that that is that that does show some hypocrisy on your part that you reached out to her employer? I mean, and I have to say, like, I saw this harass, like, I, like, I would say that she was harassing you, not the other way around. Yeah. But if you did reach, reach out to her employer, do you think that that it, that that's also, you know, a, a violation of, of, of her free speech? No, because I, I reached out and I, I said that this person is saying stuff about me I never did. And I said to her employer, I will hand over all the chat logs where this supposedly occurred and you can make your own judgment, but I can't have one of your staffers, you know, basically defaming me. So I guess to me, the equivalent is if I said something about you in an article in New York Magazine and you were convinced mm-hmm. it was false, don't you think you should have some recourse without being accused of sort of being like a canceller? Totally. I guess it depends on if she's making the claims in the pages of Rewire or if she's making them on Twitter. And I think this gets really complicated because on the one hand, I don't like the idea of employers being able to um, control people's lives outside of work. I don't think that you should get drug tested for your job unless your job, I don't know, requires I don't know. I don't know under what circumstances I would be okay with that. But I just I think that like there should be these like pretty separate lines between employment and what you do off the clock. So if she's like sending shitty tweets on her own time, I'm not sure that I would have gone to the employer. That said, I think that like she was she was libeling you. And I think that you should have some recourse. And if the recourse there, if you have have basically two options, you tell on her to her boss or you sue her. That's what I hated about that. So that's basically why I I didn't know what else to do like the only other i i at the peak of this it got genuinely disturbing because um at the very peak she was saying things like other other women have told me they've had encounters with jesse that made them uncomfortable which is like you're you're getting into the fucking dane like she's trying to meet to you basically yes yes and this is this is like um it got very weird and disturbing. Now, what I just described, that happened long after the, the email, but I, I felt like I was lacking in other options other than a lawsuit, and I haven't sued this person, and I, I don't have any immediate plans to, but like I I don't know. It struck me as the, the least bad option, it, defend myself publicly and just be like, you know, I'd like your staffer to stop doing this because when she got the job at Rewire News, I was sort of like, I at least I have someone I can say like, this is going on, I'd like it to stop. But um yeah, I, I think that's a little bit different from calling for somebody to be fired or posting that stuff publicly. In my view, it was the least bad option. And if I wrote a story about someone that contained a factual error, well, I guess you're you're saying it, it'd be different if it was on Twitter. Yeah, and and maybe it shouldn't be. Um, but I just think that, like, I mean, with media, it's, it's like, it's so complicated because, like, 
obviously companies have lots of companies have social media policies, which is well within their rights. And I do think like, let's say cases like the New York Times, like or or NPR or something like that, where they have these strict social media or like, like let's say public radio in particular, because I've, I've like actually signed their um, sign their uh, their agreement, their social media agreements because I've worked in, in public media. So they have very strict policies. You basically can't tweet anything that's going to make the company look bad. Um, you're a representative of the company, like you signed this agreement, and you can't, like, you cannot be an activist. Um, you can't be an asshole. I guess you can be an asshole to the right people, if, if, uh, judging on, on, like, on how some of these, these people actually act on Twitter. But they do have these, these strict policies. And I think, like, in the case of public media, I think that's totally legitimate. Um, you know, this is an organization that is in part publicly funded, and I think they have a real need to protect the reputations of the organization precisely because of there's so many they're often being attacked by by the GOP trying to cut funding you know for public media so I think that's totally fine for NPR to say like no you're not allowed to tweet that Donald Trump is a smash pumpkin or whatever to their to their, to their <laughs> staffers which I actually I hosted a, I hosted a show for the local PBS station here and I was reprimanded because of my tweets and I should have been because I like I signed the fucking agreement I I knew the rules and I I still continue to do it um, yeah. and so I think there so it gets really complicated because on the one hand like I fully believe in freedom of speech. It's not just the First Amendment, but as a cultural value. I think people should be able to say what they want. On the other hand, I also think it makes a lot of sense and is sort of necessary for some of these organizations to put limits on what their employees can say. And I don't really know how to even resolve that that sort of contradiction. Um, you know, if the stranger had tried to silence my voice on social media, which they occasionally did, I'd get pissed about it. You know, that said, I didn't sign an agreement saying that I wouldn't, you know, whatever, like tweet about, like tweet jokes about non-binary Facebook groups or whatever the, you know, whatever it is. I, I think like if, if you're doing what I did and making a very strong claim, which is that a fellow journalist was, was literally lying about me, not a misunderstanding, not a difference of opinion. I think that's different. And maybe I'm being disingenuous here, but I'm trying to work out of my head. Like like if you uh, tweeted something just completely false about a public figure in Seattle, like a city council member, and that city council member reached out to like Oh, the other thing I should mention is I reached out to Burns first and I said, can I, here's all, here's all our chat logs. Can you, I'd like you to retract. And I, I was very specific, like, here's the false stuff you said about me. I would like you to retract it. She didn't. I literally was like, here are all the documents where I could have possibly harassed you. Just point out to me where, where I harass you. So we were sort of like multiple steps deep here and I don't, I'm, I'm worried people get the impression that like the first thing I did was race to her employer. She was a freelancer when this started. There'd already been multiple rounds of it. So from my point of view, from like a, protecting my own career, because it's actually pretty serious to be accused by a trans woman of some sort of vague, and she made it like vaguely creepy sounding, but not really just enough. So there's plausible deniability to be accused of that sort of harassment. So yeah, but I, w- I think my art, my answer would be that I do think a hypothetical Seattle city council member, if you're working for the stranger, he reaches out to you and says, look, this tweet's defamatory. And if it is, and you refuse to take it down, I think I think you're tweeting. I mean, I guess you're tweeting as Katie Herzog, but aren't you representing the stranger when you tweet that? That's the liminal space where it's unclear what the boundaries should be. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 the conflict. Um, I don't I don't know the answer to this. I mean, and it's also like if the options are tell someone's boss or take it to a fucking court of law, uh, you know, 
those are like both of these options aren't great, um, you know. But also, like journalists shouldn't fucking libel people, and they shouldn't lie. But that's the thing. This wasn't like I the. I'm not going around sending letters if people are like, Jesse's a transphobic piece of shit, which is, of course, common. You would spend all of your time sending letters. Yeah. This is like, this is actually fucking serious and really like sort of bearing false witness, as it were, is evil to try to destroy someone's career. This all started when I asked her to stop DMing me uh, for complicated, not complicated reasons. Just I thought I thought she lied about something. I was like, I don't like people who lie. Please stop DMing me. And I, this... I felt like I had to do something and I've defended myself and there's a huge number of people in progressive media who think I'm this evil harasser of trans women. Uh, that will never go away. That will sort of be a scar on my reputation forever. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy with what I did. I, I didn't think I had other options, but I agree with you that I should, it's worth like working through what the boundary should be and what should be appropriate. But I had, I had made serious efforts to resolve it by the time I did email her boss. You know, and there's clearly a giant difference between defamation and expressing a political opinion or signing an open letter like Matt Iglesias did. Um, you know, there's there's just the two things are not in the same category. So one of the things like one of the responses to this came from Parker Malloy. Do you remember this one? Uh, the one about no one had been censored. Right, right. So Parker Malloy, I think she she's a trans woman. I think she is at Media Matters. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Media Matters. So Parker... Um, so after the after the list or after the letter went up, Parker tweeted basically no one on this list has has been censored, um, which is funny because Salman Rushdie's on the fucking list. Um, and Parker tried to get me fired. Parker didn't not I don't know if she did this publicly because she blocked me on Twitter, but she went to my bosses, went to my boss directly and tried to get me fired. And not because I had defamed her, but because she didn't like my work. Um, so she like basically complained your bosses to try to get you fired. Yes. OK, but she did that. She publicly tweeted I should be fired, too. All She goes around trying to get people fired without. Look, if if either of us had made factual errors and refused to correct them, for example, over and over again, I would not be mad about this. But she, for her to say no one on this list has been censored when, A, fucking Gary Kasparov and Salman Rushdie are on it, for one thing. Uh, she said censored recently, but whatever, recent. Um, and B, when she herself tried to get at least two of the writers on it fired – that's so disingenuous to say no one on here has been censored. Like, that's only because you, you didn't succeed. And she doesn't know what the fuck is going on in newsrooms. She doesn't no. know. This idea that I was absolutely censored at The Stranger and not, you know, and maybe for valid reasons. But I was told, like, you can't write about trans issues. That's fucking censorship. Um, maybe it's, you know, it's not government censorship. You know, there, and other people would say, no, that's just an editorial judgment. Like, you're also not allowed to write about, like, I don't know, uh, what would be an example? Um, I don't know, like my favorite cereal flavors or whatever. Uh, you know, you can make editorial judgments, but when your editors say you specifically cannot write about this thing because we don't want the backlash, well, I would call that censorship. Yeah. I, I, uh, sorry, maybe I'm emboldened now, but I just want to make this distinction really clear because, like, I, again, I, <clears throat> I did email someone's boss. I'm happy to own that after like a protracted attempt to get them to take down defamatory stuff. This is – it is different to just email someone's boss and say, I want them fired over this article I disagree with without showing they committed some sort of journalistic wrong. I was accusing Burns of a journalistic wrong and the question of whether like her Twitter account is an extension of her – Staff, whatever. But yeah, what, what Malloy did is very different. And I was very annoyed by that. I mean, she also wrote of, of us, the signatories of the letter. They want you to sit down. They want you to shut up. They want you to do as you're told by them specifically. 
This is what like a Freudian would call projection. She is someone who goes around trying to get people fired. She also, um, I've heard stories about her sort of going around trying to get people to stop following or like tweeting with people. Have you heard any of those? Yes, I have. So again, for someone who's actively trying to get people fired, in my case publicly with a public tweet, to say that we are trying to get people to sit down and shut up when I, I have never called for someone to be fired. Uh, I have not. I tried to get someone to take down defamatory material about me. Uh, I, I'm fine with that. I defend it. But this is like not – this is not good faith. And and her description just there of what was in the letter is just completely false. It's made up. It is this frankly hysterical style where like, again, you make the most anodyne pro-free speech statement and people say, oh, that's a dog whistle. You want to kill marginalized people. There's just – there's a complete derangement and disconnect between the text and what people – how people interpret it. How much of the response to this letter do you think was just like – pure professional jealousy that people weren't asked to sign the letter a tiny bit but mostly not because i think most of the people angry about it would never what they would do if they'd gotten an invite is would have angrily posted and be like fuck you i'm not signing your your free speech letter because they wouldn't want to be associated with us i think it depends on who so so when the letter was pitched to me and i'm sure this was the same for you and everybody else on the letter there were a couple of people a couple of people were named like these are going to be the signatories of the letter i think the people mentioned in my email were like george packer um margaret atwood thomas shatterton williams all people i feel like very comfortable signing and signing an open letter with all people i, I admire and I think you could have gone to to the you know you, you could have gone to 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 uh, Jennifer Finney Boylan or whatever and said like it's going to be like Noam Chomsky, Margaret Atwood, whatever you know. And so there were because it was a, like fairly ideologically diverse group of people, and you could have picked out the like non problematic members of the group. And I think you could have gotten way more people to sign it if they didn't mention like J.K. Rowling and Jesse Single and Katie Herzog. Yeah, that might be true. Yeah, I guess it really depends on how disingenuous people are. And as far as I'm concerned, there's like, there's no floor there. However, disingenuous you think people are, they're more disingenuous than that. So I can I can see that being the case. I just it's definitely trendy to shit on free speech and to imagine that anyone who cares about free speech is just an evil reactionary. Right, right. Um. So speaking of Jennifer Finney Boylan, so so how long was it after the the letter went out that she disavowed the letter? Maybe eight to twelve hours. This was like the cherry on the Sunday of a shitty Twitter day, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Do you wanna? Do you have that tweet pulled up? So yeah, Je- uh, Jennifer fin- Finney Boylan is a trans woman. She's an English professor, and she's a uh, opinion writer for the Times. She writes for them quite frequently. I think it's a contract thing. Uh, I don't think she's on staff, but she writes for them a ton. She's a big, big voice, great writer. She tweeted of this anodyne letter supporting free speech values. I did not know who else had signed that letter. I thought I was endorsing a well-meaning, if vague, message against internet shaming. I did know Chomsky, Steinem, and Atwood were in, and I thought, good company. The consequences are mine to bear. I am so sorry. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Week. I am so Katie, I am so sorry. I mean, and she does the exact same thing that all of these Twitter scolds are doing, which is making it not about the content of the letter, but about this sort of guilt by association. How dare you have the same perspective on free speech as JK Rowling? Well, I mean, you can understand monsters like us who hold views like 13-year-olds should have mental health evaluations before going on hormones. That That's like borderline Nazi stuff. You don't want to be anywhere near that. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. There was another woman who was on the letter who um, who disavowed the letter. Her name was Carrie Green Greenidge, and her her Twitter is now protected. She locked down um, after this kerfuffle yesterday, so I can't actually see what the tweet said. Um, but she also disavowed it. She said that you know I have uh, asked for a retraction, um, and Harper's took her name off the list. Um, it, I wonder if she didn't read the letter first or if she too was uh, was appalled by her fellow signatories. This, this like spark, I think this helped spark rumors that there were like someone, I got an email from a journalist for Vice. Like we'll see how that turns out. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't talk to him, but it's like suggesting there were like multiple versions of the letter or had been some deception of some sort. I didn't get that sense at all. I didn't get that sense at all. I mean, it's a, like, it's a pretty milquetoast statement. I mean, it really, there's like, there really shouldn't be anything controversial in this letter. Um, that like, and they even like go out of their way to criticize Donald Trump, which is mandatory. Um, you must first yeah. at least like, you know, remind us all who the real threat to democracy is i think we responded differently to this because like some part of me was was okay i jenny boylan doubtlessly got harassed over this uh actually parker malloy was helping to call her out as she does i don't want anyone getting harassed i don't want more hardship or bullshit part of me was gleeful because the response proved the point of the letter so in i mean you could not if a screenwriter had been like matt iglesias is gonna get reported to vox by one of his colleagues i'd be like no dude that's that's too hackish totally i will say by the end of the day maybe just because i got sucked back into twitter and like all my old bad habits that i had mostly defeated of just not engaging with these assholes i felt so just drained and wrung out and i felt like twitter had won because if it hadn't been for Twitter and and its incentives pushing bullshit and surfacing bullshit, I would have tweeted about this once and gone about my day. I was not like, this letter is the most important statement of free speech values in human history because that's our podcast. That's what our podcast is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's just like Twitter has this way of like, it's it's eight hours later and I'm like sweaty and disgusting and I'm screen capping a Vox writer trying to get her colleague in trouble. And it's, it's like, it, feel, it felt like the machine had won in making everyone pissed off in this very like insular fight that the vast majority of the world doesn't give a shit about. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, my favorite criticism of the letter was people saying that it was just like all a bunch of rich white guys, um, which is absolutely not true. I mean, it's it's true of you, clearly. Um, but this yep. was not. This was like actually a, a like diverse group of people. There were lots of brown people on the list. There were black people on the list. There were people of like an array of genders and and both sexes and and yes, an array of um, ideological opinions. But it's just way easier just to typecast the entire thing. Well, but you know, it wasn't the nurses and coal miners who are concerned about issues like microaggressions in the wine world like the right. times covered recently right, right. Um, you know i think another thing that we should point out is one of the criticisms i saw of the letter is that we sort of have these lofty perches i say from a you know my my dog's bedroom where i'm recording this and how dare the the signatories of of this letter you know none of us are canceled how dare we stand up for this principle and i think that's the that's why i signed the letter because it really isn't about me and it's not about you and it's not about jk rowling and it's not about jennifer finney boylan it's about people who cannot who aren't invited to sign open letters. It's about people who can't stand up to their bosses and their colleagues, the people who we get emails from and who listen to this podcast. Um, the reason you stand up is not always to protect yourself. It's to try to protect other people, which I find to be a worthy cause. 
Oh, totally. And on a more petty note, like it's not our fucking fault you failed to cancel us. Like you tried. You didn't, like they didn't, these people want it. The people who are maddest about this letter don't want us in media. And we're lucky on multiple fronts that, that we escaped that fate or have to this point, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. So it's just like, look, this is both sides of this. It is mainly privileged people within media fighting over scraps at this point with a small set of like, really like Noam Chomsky will be fine and Salman Rushdie will be fine. But this is all just like insular upper middle class bullshit for the most part. Although the reason I'm like engaging it is I do think there are like actual ramifications for what media looks like and for making media Mm -hmm. less horrible. Do you think Chomsky knows that there's a Twitter dogpile and he has now been written off as all all right because he signed this letter? Oh my God. (sighs) Noam Chomsky is like, I haven't read enough of his stuff on this, but he's like pretty against sort of anti-free speech stuff. He's... Oh yeah, he's extremely consistent. It's just funny to like imagine him like this, this old sort of intellectual titan like hunched over in his office at MIT, <laughs> refreshing Twitter. He probably just used like the web browser. He doesn't have TweetDeck or anything. Uh, well, Jesse, do you regret signing the letter? Is it time to disavow it? No, I just we'll just sign more. We'll sign another letter denouncing the first letter. I, I found this whole thing again. I'm with you on some of the gleefulness. Just like it demonstrated the point, but I found it so fucking exhausting. I liked it. Uh, I can I can see why. <laughs> no, like part of me liked it. I just I got too mad online. I'm furious that i now have to relitigate these stuff with this caitlin burns person from years ago that if if rewire news had been competent like would have been over i mean it's just there's so much people to know that is so crazy and that anyway i'm now getting petty again but i'm um i think this whole thing has nicely shown why we've been able to grow this podcast and by the way we are now one of the hundred biggest podcasts on patreon as of today Oh, wow. Congratulations to us. And thank you to our patrons. Thank you so much. This is less than two months in. That is not that is not normal because there are thousands of podcasts on Patreon. So I was listening to one of our earlier episodes yesterday um, to prepare for something I have to do later. And uh, it was right when we were about to surpass the stretch goal of $4,000. And I was reminded, Jesse, that you still have a rap about the replication crisis to, re- to, to write. I do. I have a couple announcements about that that I'm going to do at the top of the next free episode. Episode, but but there's uh there's some stuff in the works there is going to be some hipping and some hopping <laughs> jesse there is going to be an open letter about your rap and i will sign it <laughs> oh god we're on we're on different sides of this one i'm so i still want this controversy to go away you're just reveling in it for reasons i can understand i think it's funny i mean i just i find the whole thing very funny like it's very um it really just the response to the letter proves the, the the necessity necessity of the letter um and also like i have notifications turned off for people who don't follow me which i assume that you do because if you don't you're fucking glutton for punishment yeah. um so i'm i have like created a little echo chamber for myself where i shield myself from a lot of the criticism um which is both i think um if i were a bigger person i wouldn't do i would just absorb the criticism but i'm not a bigger person so i have turned it off no twitter criticism this is this like it'd be different if you were ignoring the emails people sent you but twitter criticism is garbage like everyone should ignore it. yeah the emails i just post screenshots of them on twitter <laughs> no I, I this whole thing like I'm curious about how long open letter discourse is going to last. Um, it's just the perfect fucking storm of, of you know, people just like showing their true colors about this. Like, do you give a fuck about free speech or do you give a fuck about who 
sign the letter. And uh, it seems like most people give a fuck about the latter. Yeah, it's been bad. But again, there's always the normies out there who would just be baffled by the whole thing. Thank God for normies. And for our podcast subscribers who, no matter what we do, and no matter how many times we call people's bosses and scream at them to fire employees we don't like, which we do every day when we're not on the mic, you know, our podcast subscribers will always support us and we appreciate that. Yes. Thank you so much. On that note, are we done? Yeah. If you have any complaints, um, send an open letter to blockedandreported at gmail.com. Is that what our email address is? Blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. Okay. So send the criticism to blockedandreported at gmail.com and send the praise to blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> also remember, I am Katie's supervisor, but she is my supervisor. <laughs> so the chain of command gets complicated. But, but send us your feedback. We're going to report each other to HR. Bye. Bye.